Hi, and welcome to another edition of Drag Hags, where three ladies of a certain age talk about RuPaul's Drag Race, Season 10. I'm Jan. I'm Ren. And I'm MC. And this week we're going to talk about Evil Twins. So, this was an interesting episode, and I think there will be some interesting things to talk about. Um, but we start out in the post-elimination. I'm so sad. I know. Cameron sent Monet home and Cameron started being very self-deprecating and all well it should have been me it should have been me it should have been me um I I do have to say Asia's right if Cameron is so down on actually being there and is all it should have been me then it's a competition you send people home I'm sorry that's just how it works if you want to go home just go home Pull a Bendela. Pull a uh, Monique and just don't know the words or, you know, you can throw the competition yeah. if you really don't want to stay. Yeah, I, I mean, I love Cameron and I really, you know, but that was frustrating because, yeah, either you're you're in or you're out. You know, you can't be like, oh, I just lip synced for my life, but I should, you know, I want to go home. <laughs> in some ways, it felt disingenuous. Like, I think that Cameron actually is really glad to be there because, spoiler, spoiler, we see at the end of the episode that Cameron lip syncs again and tries really freaking hard to actually win. So this whole, it's like, I don't want to send people home. It's like, no, you want to send people home. It's a competition. I think it's more that she doesn't want to be seen as the bad guy. Well, yeah. But that's, I mean, I think people know by now or should know by now. I shouldn't say people know because there's plenty of fans out there unfortunately as we'll talk about as this episode goes on too don't see it that way but it it is a competition if you're on the show even if somebody is your best friend whether like you know we got relaxa talks like a zillion times but in the end alaska still fought for her you know to 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 win all-stars let's say and against her bffs i mean that's how you have to do it and you know, everybody still works together for the most part. Everybody still stays friends and they understand it. I mean, anybody who's angry that somebody sent them home when they shouldn't have needs to like check themselves. But it was sad because I love Monet and, you know, I missed Monet and, you know, she even left a sponge behind. So viva la sponge. Long live the sponge. <laughs> Using the sponge on the mirror and Aquarius saying, the mirror's never been cleaner. Even though that wasn't true based on what we saw i mean they might they might have just had some bad editing there but if it really did clean it better i think that needs to become a tradition now the whole lipstick on the mirror was not a tradition until season two shangela was the first one to do it so let's throw in we're always gonna have a monet sponge on the table to clean off the lipstick. yeah that, that works for me and then of course i don't know Aquarius started bragging again about i don't even remember what she was bragging about just... it was the first drag right yeah and I was just like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Yeah, and pretty much any time she opens her mouth, it's like, just shut up. Well, I mean, I thought it was really cute, everyone else talking about their first drag, and it's like, oh my god, it was so terrible. It bother me what Aquarius said, just because it's so 21-year-old, where it's like, you know she doesn't have any pictures of it, so... Like, if she actually saw a picture of it, she'd probably think it was terrible, but her memory of it was just like, oh, it's cute. And, you know, and, and, and I don't know, Aquarius, like, 
sense of self sometimes is just like staggeringly painful because it's like yeah you're 21 the world doesn't revolve around you i know it's hard to fathom and then cracker had an epiphany that because she won last week and deservedly so for uh her makeover and um she said she was going to step it up this week which well oh yeah honey <laughs> but and, and then asia opened her mouth and you know said that in the, the side discussion thingy uh the talking head part um you know like she didn't think that cracker was a star and i'm sorry i find that like a little bitchy too i don't know i i disagree entirely because cracker's a star she's not the same kind of like glamour star let's say as asia but cracker is goddamn good at what she does yeah she's pulled off some really fantastic looks this whole season despite what asia says Cracker actually mentioned it in Whatcha Packing that she was very surprised coming onto the show. She thought she was going to have like all of the comedy challenges in the bag. But in this, she came off as more of a runway queen because she did really well with her looks on the runway and the comedy challenges she floundered with. And that's probably because she was working so hard on the stuff that she thought that she wasn't going to do well with and the stuff that she thought that she was going to be really good at she just kind of like oh, i'm gonna be fine and you know it doesn't work out that way uh asia is completely wrong everybody yeah. who comes on this show was a star and it just it was catty and it was unbecoming but it was very pageanty yep that's true yeah and but the thing is that cracker it never was and never will be a pageant queen that's not her thing and therefore that but that doesn't mean you're not a star i mean is bianca not a star because bianca's not a pageant queen you know it's everybody has their thing and it was just it was just i really got mad at asia for that because it was just a low blow especially because cracker had won and actually cracker should have probably won you know every any other week and didn't there were a number of times where she they kind of overlooked her for whatever reason you know i think this was you know well this week as we'll get to i think this is the first time she actually was in the bottom two and the only time she ever lip synced and we we will get to that later uh right now i think we're to the point of oh my god why is rue always putting her, her foot in her mouth and being problematic uh i mean i get that queens say problematic things but uh, some more thought needs to be put into things there was a lot of her um, talk about split personalities and bipolar disorder was cringy. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of discussion and a lot of anger about the way the evil twin was handled. And I agree. It just, you know, you're talking about people's mental health. And the problem is that, you know, she was throwing around and people do this in general five different names for five separate issues. And they're not, most of them are not, you know, evil twin is not. Split personality is not bipolar disorder, and she just should have stuck to the evil twin thing, which is just, you know, a fictional trope, soap opera trope, and left it alone in any other way. Yeah, but I really wanted to make this a psychological challenge. It was it was clear with how she was talking to the queens and how she was, you know, later on, and how she's trying to drag, you know, the, the, their deep, dark secrets out of them about how they feel about themselves. And, and so I think that's why she used all those seal terms, was just because she wanted to emphasize more psychological playing with your own mind as opposed to being a looks challenge or being a styling challenge or anything. I still think it was, I mean, I'm not as, I'm not as angry about it as a lot of other people. And I say this as somebody with bipolar disorder, I just kind of rolled my eyes and it's just like, Oh, bro, you should not have done that. But I 
think it was not well considered. Just the whole challenge in general. I agree. Yeah, and also, like, if you're going to talk talk about, you know, an inner, sab- inner saboteur, inner saboteur, um, <laughs> to quote Cameron, um, you know, that's, like, basically, you know, that's the shadow in, in Jungian psychology and stuff like that, too. There are ways of dealing with it that aren't just evil twin, but that's not... You know, the, the disorders that she was just talking about. It was just like the whole thing was a hot mess. Uh, well, yeah, but we can get further into the challenge later on. We do have. Yeah, so we got to the mini challenge. And first of all, they brought in Cheyenne Jackson, who is. He is an actor who has been in many <laughs> things, particularly. I know him mostly from American Horror Story. Okay, okay so I don't watch it, so. He is quite a popular gay actor. He doesn't. He seems to actually play straight more than he plays gay. At least I find there there might be some roles that I'm missing, and I'm sure people will point that out. But also, Cheyenne Jackson is redonkulously hot. Yes, oh, he, he is. Was. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, who is this pretty man? I have no idea what he's done. But, you know, I figured he was there for the eye candy. And the mini challenge was based around drag brunches. And so we got a little bit of a product placement for, uh, I think it's Voss Entertainment. Ting. And resting brunch face. And I'm sorry, this mini challenge me just like reeked of desperation in terms of like concept. Like they were that, they could not find anything else, but let's do, you know, let's make a Rudy Tootie fresh and fruity pancake face. Are you kidding me? Like what? (laughs) Okay. I'm not really big on decorating with food like this. I think that I'm a cake decorator, so I take it very seriously so when you're getting people doing stuff like this where it's just like i'm gonna throw things on and make a face i think it looks really disgusting i think it really takes a lot of talent to do it and to do it in 15 minutes all of that food looked so gross once it was on the plate like actually like if i were like with what eureka was doing eating the garnishes and stuff considering what i've heard about how they feed the queens in the past like i don't blame her for like eating that food but like the challenge for me like this is up there with a lot of the food challenges where it's like earlier this season when they like sat on like cake and stuff like yeah i don't know what's (laughs) up with the producers and their mini challenges but somebody out there has a food kink and you know your kink is not my kink and that's okay but yeah i just like i don't know just me just was so ridiculously stupid and i i don't know um and i was trying to think of an ihop joke because of course now it's no longer ihop it's ihob and yeah whatever uh so there's no more pancakes in the house of pancakes um and aquaria was like nauseated she was like retching and like i was like what is your problem i'm wondering if aquaria is a vegetarian because she was retching when she was grabbing for like the lunch meat and stuff yeah, she was, like, totally grossed out by it. Maybe it did look gross, but it was just like, okay, stop. You know, her retching and, and, and erping and stuff was, like, over yeah. the top, so. It, it, I think she's a vegetarian, because that is such a vegetarian reaction to using that stuff, or to touching that stuff. But also, it's like, if if you are a vegetarian, nobody told you you had to use the lunch meats. You could have made the entire thing out of vegetables. Yeah, there was also, there was obviously breakfast cereal because Cameron used what looked like fruity pebbles for the hair, and there was whipped cream, and there was fruit. So yeah, you could get around and, it. and everything like that. And candies. Yeah, you yeah. could have totally avoided the meat department, yeah. I don't know, it was just a weird challenge. So it, Cameron made Patty Puta, which for some reason the um, the closed captioning kept saying Patty Punta, which was, I don't know, it was just odd. That's a different uh, cra- thing. 
Yeah. Uh, Cracker made Lil Miss Wedding Cake. Uh, Asia gave us Pan- Panquisha. Uh, Eureka's gave us Cindy Ann. And Aquaria gave us Pancakes the Labyrinth. So I'll, I'll give her a point for like actually making a Guillermo del Toro joke. Even if it took me a minute to figure out what the hell she was talking about. Yeah, and, and for being a vegetarian, her pancake thing was like all luncheon meats. There were some mm. greens and some peppers, but mostly lunch meats. It was like, okay. Uh, it was weird. So the winner of all this mess was uh, Asia for Panquisha. And I don't even, I couldn't even quite figure out what the determination was it was supposed to taste good or look good i, I well, well just, supposedly yeah. supposedly Jean was like tasting every bit of it he oh he was not taste yeah it looks like he was eating marshmallows every time so it's like what the hell are you doing what you know dude you know you're not fooling anybody yeah that's what was so weird to me it was like yeah they're supposed to taste good but meanwhile he was just like you know taking one little bite of something and i, I don't know like i said it was just a useless challenge and it was like Silly. So uh, then we went to our maxi challenge, which was the inner saboteur. And the way it was described was they were supposed to do two distinct characters. And so you, the one was supposed to be your best and brightest. And the other one was your evil twin. And then an inner monologue to go <sighs> along with the evil twin, which based on that description was a hot mess later on down the line. I, there, I don't think that there was any way that this challenge could have gone well. I mean, I get what they were trying to go for. It's like, we want our girls to, like, reach deep down into their souls and, you know, spill everything out to us. But then in the end, they went with who they thought was pretty. Yeah, yeah I... And I, like I said, it was, I, everybody seemed to interpret it differently. Then they started to, the, the, the queens actually went back to the workroom and they started asking one another what their good and bad aspects were, which I don't know if was, that's the necessarily best thing in the world to do either when it's supposed to be a very personal challenge, but it happened. It might not have been best for, you know, the girls. They should probably have been looking at themselves. But I liked seeing this little bit of bonding between them. This is one thing that I really enjoy when we get down to like five or six queens and you finally get to see everybody like really kind of melded together because they've been together for like two months at this point. And there's so few of them that they've really kind of connected. And so we get to see them being very personal with each other. And I mean, like nobody was being mean to each other when they were saying anything. It was just like, well, here's what I think about what might be your lesser qualities. Yeah, there was, I mean, there was some good nature driven. I, I was just, con- you know, surprised that everyone was thinking Cracker is emotionless. You know, and they were saying, but I, I think she's guarded. But I would not say she's emotionless at all. When you see her on camera, at least, I think there's a lot of emotional depth there. She just tends to wall it off for whatever reason, you know, her personal reasons. Uh, she actually talked about this in What's Packing. Uh, apparently, with her growing up, her parents did not live in the same house. They lived on the same property. Uh, okay. But they had, her mother had an art studio that, she lived in and her dad had like the main house where the kids were and so i don't know what that meant for their actual like relationship dynamic but they were living separately from me not one another and michelle as soon as she heard that she's like this explains kind of everything about how you you compartmentalize like everything you don't want you know these emotions to show because that's your family put themselves into these little boxes and you've kind of been raised to do that too. And Ms. Cracker was just like, 
Yeah, I think so. So yeah, I honestly, one of the problems that I've had that I had with this challenge is that everybody kind of went for the same generic kind of evil twin. It's like, I'm so evil. But that's not really what an inner saboteur is. An inner saboteur is going to be different for everybody. And I think for Cracker, an inner saboteur might be more of a dominatrix. I'm going to tie Miss Cracker up. That, that works. It does. So then after much dis- uh, deliberation between everybody, um, Rue showed up. And Rue sort of was playing armchair shrink with everybody. When and in, in both good and bad ways, I think. First, she went to Asia, and Asia was showing off her clothing. And I think Asia is very good at self analysis. She kind of had a good handle on what was working for her and what wasn't working for her. But I think again, Asia seems to be like an, in some ways an old soul. As we said, she's very nurturing. She's very kind of mothering. And I think she, especially as she said, she grew up. Both she lost both her parents. She kind of has been self reliant for a long time. So I think she kind of has a good handle on who who she is and what she is, which is good. Well, Asia is 35, and I think she's the eldest of the queens who's still there. Yeah, I think so. But almost everybody else is in their 20s, I believe. Except for this cracker who's like 34. So I kind of think that that it is kind of the age where it's like Asia's had more time to come to self-realizations and... When you're in your 20s, you're such, like, an asshole who doesn't really yeah. think about how, you know, you sabotage yourself because everything you do is perfect. You're a model. You're Linda Evangelista. She went to Eureka, and Eureka shared a lot of her insecurities about size, looks, you know, whether or not she should be there. And, you know, I, I love Eureka. I really like Eureka a lot. And, you know, Eureka is probably like two feet taller than I am. But a lot of what Eureka was saying, I mean, anybody who grew up being a bigger girl gets what she's kind of talking about and where her head was at. And I think Eureka's been through stuff, too, because you get the feel. I get the feeling that I, would, I don't want to use the term white trash but i get the feeling that her family was not wealthy and she kind of came from humble beginnings as it were you know because she was she that seemed to be part of her crux also then we got to aquaria uh and her sanitized evil voice and i think this is definitely a sign that everybody's kind of going for the generic evil twin because aquaria's evil twin it would not be telling her that she's not good enough. Aquarius' evil twin is the one who's telling her that she's great. Yeah, and inflating her ego and that she's better than anybody else and she doesn't have to listen to anybody or do anything else because everything she's doing is so perfect and right as rain and wonderful. They just keep it up, yeah. Yeah, and and Asia actually had a good observation there because she said, Aquarius seems to be very wrapped around what she wants to wear. I'm not sure she grasps what this challenge is about. And that's like, Aquaria in a crux and a lot of it is because she's 21 and that self-awareness is not there but she was like really it was all superficial again I got frustrated because I felt like and especially later on it felt like Rue was kind of trying to push her in the right direction but it almost felt like she was prompting her or like feeding her what she needed to do a more overly enthusiastic way than maybe other people would it was like she wasn't letting Aquaria sink or swim on her own merits it was like oh no do this do this do this i think in terms of her focusing on the looks the aesthetics that's very much her being 21 years old and not wanting to you know see the forest for the trees and it's very violet tchotchke where it's she's a looks queen and i mean yes she's done very well in some challenges but 
that's what she wants to focus on that's kind of she's 21 and she's been doing this since she was 14 and she's like focused entirely on her look she's an instagram queen so it's like if i look great nothing else matters if i yeah just gotta look good and my life could be a hot mess but it doesn't matter because i am slaying it on instagram and here's the problem this challenge doesn't you know dissuade her of that no you know no, not at all. And and I mean, it's yeah. You know, I'm 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 an awesome human being because I have fifty thousand Instagram followers. Let's say that's not, you know, without getting too heavy. It's like that's not the end of you know that that's superficial shit. You know, there's there's more to life than just how many goddamn. I mean, I know for young people, a lot of young people, that's not necessarily true. They think that's what success is. Oh, I've got you know fifteen hundred people who follow me on Twitter. I've got you know. 5,000 Facebook friends or whatever, but there's more to life than just like people giving you like, 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 like on your photos or whatever. Yeah, and there's a lot of people of that age who are realizing that, you know, I'm really seriously depressed because that's all I can think about are these likes and getting, getting, getting nudges and getting, getting kudos. And, you know, they can't focus on anything else because they have to be like validated every single moment and that's not healthy. And that when it doesn't happen, then they go in a big, dep- get into big depression. And which is understandable, but it's also, well, you kind of have to not be on social media, and it's very hard not to get people that age not to be on social media. You know, there are plenty of young people who aren't like that, but the people who are kind of obsessed with it, and Aquaria, unfortunately, is like the poster girl for it, it's it's not good, because, you know, what happens when something fails? You can't, you're not going to be on Instagram and, and getting, you know, all these followers for the rest of your life and doing nothing else. Then we got to Miss Cracker, and she was working on her evil twin outfit and talking to Rue about the inner saboteur, and um, she mostly got it, because I think Cracker, Cracker's a deep thinker, you know, she, that's why the, the emotionless thing kind of bothered me, because I think she, she's very aware, too aware, but that's why she puts up those walls, and, and that's why she, she's trying to make people see her in a certain way, because... You know, it, it, that's almost, it's almost like the fear of failure, where, you know, if somebody sees my flaws, they're all going to hate me and not talk to me again. Right. Which is why she, she's very big on wanting to produce how other people perceive her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I don't think she said it yet, but she does say it later on. She's like, everybody's trying to find their inner saboteur and I'm sitting with mine. <laughs> right. Yeah. She knows. Yeah, I, like I said, I think she's very self-aware. I, I, you know, I don't know, but I get the feeling. I just from things she said, it sounds like she may have been in therapy at some point because she's very, she's very on point about this stuff. I think she's in therapy now. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. and exactly. I mean, like yeah. that's no shade on Cracker. No, not at it's all. Just, yeah, because no, also I, if you're if you're having problems with things, I actually think probably everybody needs therapy at some point in their life. The reason I say that is just from the way she was talking, it just sounded like she was so aware of certain things and not in a vitriol way or in a falling apart way that you can see she's processed some of this with probably with professional help, which is great. Yeah. You know, and, and we love crack. Uh, then we got to Cameron, who talked about her inner saboteur, which I guess rhymes with abattoir. I guess, you know, <laughs> his, you know her inner thing, the place to keep, play, you know, the privates clean or something, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but it, I guess that this that's this year's sequence dress or rigor mortis or oh yeah some of the other fun RuPaulisms that we get from time to time. Um, Cameron admitted to shyness, which I think there was definitely that, and and you know that's why Cameron tends to be quiet. Um, you know, Cameron's just a reserved person, at least out of when when she's not in full dragon on a stage. I think that's just who she is, which is 
you know, hard when you're on a, a competition show and there's a camera in your face all the time because you need to be, you know, sing out Louise and put yourself out there. So. I mean, honestly, Cameron reminds me a lot of me. And that is, I am somebody who, like, when I'm on a podcast, I certainly have a lot of stuff to say. And when I'm with, like, one-on-one with friends that I'm really good with and we're kikiing, I'm just like, oh my god, I'm gonna say absolutely everything. But if I get into a group of, like, five people and there's, like, three really big personalities, I will not say a word. And Ren and Jan know all about this because they've seen me in this situation where I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, I'm just listening to everybody. I don't, you know, I'm fine. You don't need to say anything. So, yeah, I can kind of see where... These drag queens who have these gigantic personalities that if Cameron, when she's not on, when she's not Cameron Michaels, that she's not really in the the Cameron persona when she's in boy mode, she kind of withdraws into herself. Right. And I, I mean, I get that, too. A lot of people don't think I'm shy because I I've learned to compensate for my shyness for by putting myself out there and talking and being louder and whatever. But there are plenty of times where I'm not. But even though I it's weird because I'll dress like kind of funky or more, you know, not the norm. So people see me with my bright red hair or wearing something funky and then I'm not talking and I'm like kind of sitting back and listening, as you said. And then people think I'm aloof or that I'm snotty because I, I don't know what to say. And I don't, I mean, when I'm with people that I know, or when I'm behind a microphone or on a stage, I am the life of the party because, you know, I've got a Mars and Leo and God knows I have to be in the center of things. But otherwise, yeah, I can be very reticent. I can be very quiet. And Ren, especially, I think you've seen me, uh, at least when I was younger, being quieter or kind of more. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but so I I can relate to to what Cameron's saying, too. And also, I think it's true of both actors and also drag queens that when you're out of the makeup, when you're not in the role, I mean, a lot of actors that I know and a lot of famous actors are actually horribly, horribly shy to the point of pathological when they're not on air quotes, you know, on stage or behind that mic or something. They're very, very shy and very kind of like quiet. Um, You know, my parents were at a party once somebody was like somewhat famous and uh, uh, Johnny Carson was there as a guest and he literally was not talking to anybody. He was just sitting there quietly observing the room and like not interacting with anyone. And my mom said it was so eerie because this was at a time where he was still kind of at the top of, you know, he was the late night talk show host that everybody knew and he was always Mr. Life of the Party kind of thing. And she was so shocked to see him just kind of sitting there and, you know, like taking the room. And he obviously, you know, he had a drink in his hand and he was chilling, but he was not really being social. So I think a lot of actors, I mean, and again, drag queens, I think that's why certain people do drag. Because once you put on the wig, once you put on the makeup, you become that persona. That's your personality. And you can hide. As Some people say you're hiding behind that character. Right. It gives a little bit of protection. They even get into that a little bit in this episode where they're talking about how they use their drag persona as a crutch and sometimes it can interfere with their relationships outside of drag, like with friends or with boyfriends, where everybody really loves their character. And it is a character that they're putting on and they kind of aren't used to seeing them outside of that. And it's like, no, this is that's me acting and this is who I am really. And so they even start to put on their drag persona outside of that. And it must be exhausting. 
Yeah, because then, you know, the people are expecting you to be on all the time and to be always like the life of the party or the jokester or whatever you're supposed to be. And it's got to be hard. I, I think Benda LaCrown has talked about that also, just that the, the Benda, the Dela character is, you know, perpetually, you know, terminally delightful and, and on and perky and stuff. And Ben himself was shy and also you know suffered from depression and it was a way for him to not be that way and to kind of like work things out so it's and it, so I and I didn't like what Rue was saying to Cameron in terms of his and I didn't write it down unfortunately it's like Rue's explanation for what shyness is in terms of how the ego works and I was like no sometimes people are just kind of shy and not good at putting themselves forward it has nothing to do with like actually being shy because you want to call attention to yourself I, I didn't quite like it was an odd thing that Rue said, and I didn't agree with it at all. And I, and Rue is somebody who has talked about in interviews. Rue has been through therapy, and I think Rue has done a lot of like self examination, which is awesome. But that particular take was not didn't quite hit with me. I love Rue, but Rue can be really fucking clueless at times. <laughs> I think it's been a long time since Rue has kind of been outside of this whole idea of what Rue is. And she comes up with some really, like, messed up ideas about things. And I think this is one of those things. Yeah, Oil pulling just... is another one. But <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you know, bless Cameron. I, I, I do love Cameron. And like I said, I follow her on social media. And she's actually very delightful. And she's goofy. And it, it, sometimes it, when she's talking to the camera, when she's like off stage, you can see the sort of the shyness there too, you know, where she's kind of more like laid back and kind of just kind of sharing stuff. So, um, and then RuPaul's evil twin, Rude Paul, showed up. And that was just like, what? <laughs> yeah, and, and the first of, of many Patty Duke's show, you know, tributes, you know. Yeah, through the episode, it's like I, you know, in conceiving this challenge, I really think that it was the editors saying, you know, we're really bored. We want to do some really crazy like Perry Duke show editing, you know, just to prove that we have you know, editing chops. So how about it? Yeah, and it, I don't care for it, and it becomes even more evident later on, but it really shows just how fucking produced the show is yeah. like i mean i know yeah. all reality shows are produced but this episode more than anything else it's like okay we've got a story that we're going for and it's all dramatic and they're evil twins so we're gonna do both of them and the twins are gonna be in the backstage watching and it's like oh give me a break I wanted to hear some of the uh, instructions they were giving. Like, okay, now act like you just won the challenge. Now act like you're, like you're safe. Now act like you're in the bottom, too. You know, what is your reaction? And it's just like, yeah, okay. Part of this episode felt like, you know, oh, we've got, you know, some of that good VH1 money because we've won Emmys and we're like, you know, on an actual channel that has, you know. Actual viewers. Yeah, with actual viewers and actual commercials now. So we can, like, do stupid, like, special effects that it'll look kind of cool. But it's just like, uh And those why? poor girls, you know they had to film each and every single different reaction. Under both looks. But that is later on, so we will get into that later on. Like, really wonder, like, whose idea this whole episode was. Was the producers that, hey, let's do this, or was, like, Rue wanted to, like, suddenly be another character because he was bored? I don't know. I feel like most of the stuff comes from the producers. This doesn't seem like something that Rue would come up with. It's like, the challenges, I think, that Rue, Rue might come up with some of them, but, like, this kind of thing, this... It's hard enough getting Rue into 
regular drag, let alone dressed up like Rude Paul. This is true. This is very true. Um, so then we had them, uh, they were all working on their scripts and they were just work, work, work in the room. And then there was the exciting adventures of Ms. Cracker versus the sewing machine. And we never quite found out what the problem was. She was just having like serious issues with that sewing machine. Well, all they were showing was like, you know, it's like she was having problems winding the bottom. bottom yeah, yeah, which bobbin. is like, yeah. And which, that's... Yeah, I mean they they have se- they have several sewing machines in the workroom, so I was wondering why that was like stymieing her. But then I was also wondering if maybe it wasn't so much a machine problem as much as it was a fabric problem. Because looking at the fabric she was planning to make her evil twin outfit out of, it looked like it was like a pleathery with rivets in it. So that shit can be really hard to deal with. So Yeah, it was just odd because at least for the time, what we saw on camera was like baffling to me also because, yeah, I just heard the machine going whir, whir, whir and it was like, it's, you know, her bobbin screwing up. I mean, you know, if your tension is off, your bobbin cannot wind properly and it gets all naughty and weird stuff. But it was just odd. And then, of course, Asia was bitching about the fact that Cracker was having problems with the sewing machines. Like, Asia, shut up. Sometimes problems happen. I, I mean, I love Eureka, but what Eureka was saying kind of felt a little sabotage for Cracker. Oh, yeah. It's like Eureka's like, oh, it's not gonna matter what you wear. And it's like, no matter what you do, like, remember how freaking Adore was read for filth for what she wore during the talent show when she was singing and she was awesome when she was singing? It's like, the look always fucking matters. Yeah, I, I forgot about that because I didn't make a note. But actually, yeah, that felt very like underhanded. It's a little shady or a lot shady in terms of, you know, I, I think Eureka kind of sort of kind of did mean sort of like, don't get yourself so worked up about it. Put something together. But Eureka also wants to win. And we know she wants to win. And she's taken Ruse, you know, do you want to be friends or do you want to win to heart? So I think there was a little bit of that underhanded thing too and like yeah honey don't worry about it they won't do that ha 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 i also noticed that obviously they had a prehistoric challenge that they did not do because yeah as we've said previously the queens get a list of what potential challenges might be and sometimes they get ones that they either decide when they're there not to do or were just put there so queens will be ready for them but had they had no plans to actually do it like uh, yeah, they were but- supposed to have a 90s challenge during all stars 2 and i think this one they were supposed to do an orange runway yeah, it was called an orange alert because Cracker actually posted a picture of herself in her orange alert, which had, um, it was like it was traffic, uh, traffic cones. cones and so, yeah, traffic cones, like she did a Jean Paul Gaultier bra thing with the traffic cones and traffic cones on her head. And also, I think that what uh, Asia wound up wearing for the good twin on the runway was her orange alert because it was the same kind of orangey thing. So, so yeah, and obviously because, you know, Cracker, like why else would Cracker suddenly have this like prehistoric thing already made complete with, you know, funky bones? and whatever and it's not something you would normally put in your suitcase <laughs> yeah and at last week on untucked we also saw monet's wig for that challenge which had like a right. dog bone in it and what and what uh, cameron wore the for the evil twin that was also from the prehistoric challenge and i think it's yeah very interesting that the queens who wore stuff from their prehistoric challenge ended up in the bottom except for Aquaria, because I'm pretty sure that 
ocelot dress thing was probably from the prehistoric challenge too yeah and i think that the, whatever the jawbone thing that she was wearing definitely had to be why else would you have that other than the fact that it's awesome i'm sorry right exactly other than oh i liked it and i have a friend who does masks and i just asked yeah like why would you ask him to do that for any other thing <laughs> so yeah i just correct. had him print it up for me you know on a, on a 3d printer for a whim yeah don't think so <laughs> Yeah, this whole thing, I just pulled it out of the closet. So then Cameron and Cracker were both like kind of fetching and nervous. I shouldn't say fetching, but they were both very nervous before things even started. So I, I think that was like an early clue to the new direction with them. Uh, then we had a discussion about drag queen dating woes, as MC mentioned before. You know, how do you date when you are a drag queen and how do people interact with you? Are they comfortable with it and personas? Which I thought that was kind of elucidating, you know, because you don't think about that if you're not kind of in that world, because most of us just have our general outward persona we're not like whole new people when we go out in the world do you like how when they were talking about i found it really funny when they're talking about their inner saboteurs so many of them are saying it speaks in the voice of michelle visage and just <laughs> how lovely michelle is to all of these queens outside of the show and how she is such a mother to them and you know the second these guys got off the show, they were just, like, kikiing with Michelle all over the place. Because M Michelle, like, will refer to queens by their boy names. Like, that is how close she is to them. Meanwhile, Rue once called Sharon the spooky one. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Oh. Yeah, the so cute one, the smart one, you know. The spooky one and Ringo, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I do think it's like really funny that Michelle Massage is like this dragon to be feared, but she's really just, she's such a marshmallow. Well, I think when she's behind the judges table, um, she is kind of that dragon because she's, it's all about the tough love. And it's, I, when we were at DragCon New York last year, we went, one of the panels we went to was all about judging. And prior to this, I wasn't the biggest Michelle fan because I thought she was kind of a hard ass. But then when I listened to her and she talked about the judging and why she judges and what she's trying to do, a lot of it is tough love and just trying to push people to do things in, in, a, in a constructive way. And it all comes from a place of love. It's just not, it's not like a Santino who just has no clue about anything. And it's just a bitchy asshole. Um, you know, Michelle does, she cares about each and every one of the Queens. She's always trying to help. Um, and unless it's the color green, which is, you know, I'm sorry, that's her issue. Um, you know, she's, she's really trying to, to push people to their full potential. So I think the judgy part of Michelle, maybe the, the inner, the inner saboteur part, but it is very funny that considering she is the nurturing one outside of the show, but I don't know if any of these Queens have really dealt with Michelle yet. Is that, isn't that after they start doing yeah, the tours? Yeah, I think the... probably the only one who would have dealt with her would be Eureka. Yeah. Cause Eureka's already done some of the season nine stuff and all that jazz uh, so then there was some weirdness about peeing clear from a aquaria if you pee clear cheers like what the hell does that even mean i mean cracker was confused and, and i was confused i'm like is that some reference to something that i don't know i think i'm not 100 percent sure but i think like if you have an std your urine tends to be cloudy so if your oh, okay. pee if, if your urine is clear in the bowl or whatever then you know there's no infection you are healthy but it was just a very strange 21 year old thing to bring up let's talk about our piss <laughs> because we can because we can yeah so i but it, like i said it took me I, several watchings to like my, and i should have looked it up but my brain just was like i think this is what aquarius is referring to i'm not sure 
So if anybody else wants to, you know, like explain this to us, we're, we're, we're here people. Then we went to commercial. I just made a note because I don't know if in your markets, whether you got it, but uh, we, there was a, and this happened last week also, there was a PSA from Eureka for it gets better. Oh yeah. Like, get better kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I really like that. And I, that was just like a nice touch to see in the middle of things. So I watch on out TV go. So I actually don't get commercials. <laughs> Oh, lucky you. I watch it on VH1 and, you know, DVR it, so... Yeah, DVR sometimes... and squirrel through the commercials. Yeah. Oh, I pay for a subscription, though, so... Yeah, well, we pay... I pay for just cable, so it's there. I, I stop watching it on demand when I can help it, because that's, like, not only are there commercials, but I can't fast-forward through anything, and then it's, like, I have to watch the whole two hours complete with, like, promos and stuff, so... But it just, it was very nice. I know Eureka had talked on social media about that, that they were doing the, the, it gets better PSA. Um, and it's just, it's a lovely thing if you haven't seen it. So go Eureka, because hopefully it gets better, especially during Pride Month. It's a good thing to see. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, Eureka outside of drag does um, identify as non-binary. So it's kind of good because there's representation everywhere. Um, so we, after the commercials, we came back and it was runway time. Uh, and Rue looked really fabulous. She was wearing another bicolor dress like she did last week. Yeah. Um, I wanted to love this, but I just liked it because the collar bothered me. Like the fact that it was kind of a plunging neckline, but then there was the collar on it. And it just, that part didn't work for me. If it had just been like a regular scoop neck, I would have been like, fabulous. But with the little collar parts on it, I'm like. Almost perfect. But you know, there always there always needs to be one thing to pick at. And I also noted for me, um, Michelle's choker the, the was like, it was very gothy. I love that choker. It was I, very I nice. I love Michelle's necklace. Yeah. I've always wanted one of those in like black jet beads and stuff. Very Victorian kind of scallopy. It was just really pretty. And our uh, judges this week were Lena Dunham, Ashanti, and Carson Cresley was back. So Ashanti looked gorgeous. Oh, yeah. So beautiful. Lena Dunham may go. The only good thing you've ever done is given me lots of shirtless Adam Driver. <laughs> my I, my note is, say something nice about Lena. I liked her look. I thought she looked very good. And her hair was kind of cute. So whoever did, you know, her makeup, hair, she looked very nice for Lena. Okay, I'll say something nice. Thank you for giving me lots of shirtless Adam Driver. <laughs> Which I can't appreciate because he's, that's one of the reasons I can't with Adam Driver is I saw too many clips of naked Adam Driver doing things on girls that I did not need to see. But he's a lovely person, so that's okay. Then we had the double trouble and we had the runway. So first out was uh, Cameron um, and her good twin look. I wrote it down as sort of like a snow princess. It reminded me very much of like Frank Frazetta and like a lot of like, 70s or even 60s like pinup fantasy yeah conan just like all the book covers if you read fantasy especially like swords and sorcery stuff back in the 70s and 80s it was like very and cameron has mentioned and he's also mentioned on uh, social media cameron's very big on video games um he's a big gamer and i think he did a gamer panel at DragCon los angeles so i i get the aesthetic and it was it looked really nice it was neat cameron looks like she should paint airbrushed on the side of a van and i love it <laughs> And the worst are, you know, one of those like calendars, wall calendars that you used to get back in the 70s also, which was like all Frazetta art or somebody like that. I thought they, I thought she was pretty. I don't really get like, yes, they're costumey, but they're fucking drag queens. They're all costumes. 
Right, exactly. It's not like, oh, just haute couture. And I like the fact that Cameron's more, I would say, cosplay-esque in, in her aesthetic than some other people. Because you should have a difference. And then the evil twin was Katrina Michaels. And uh, I really like the headdress and the makeup. Um, I didn't necessarily get evil from it. Oh, I didn't either. No, it was just, you know, it was another pretty look. It wasn't really a contrast. The only contrast you got was in the you know, narrative. And even then, that wasn't really that contrasty. I do think her acting was not very good. I do agree with the judgment there that she did not change her physicality at all. Yeah. It was all very strong, hands on the hips and everything. And that you needed to some more differentiation between them. I mean, everybody interpreted this challenge differently, but I think you need to have some sort of coherence to the two to get the twin part. But then yeah. you also need to make them different to get the evil part to come out. Yeah, so I, to me, it's like I'm sort of like thinking, you know, you really need to be like Jeannie and Jeannie's evil sister who didn't have a name or Serena and Samantha on Bewitched, that kind of like evil twin thing where it's the same person playing two different roles and there's a similar aesthetic, but there's a, you can see the visual difference. Um, the other thing I, I, noted, I noted about Cameron was just that because the outfits were so similar, one of the things I would have done just to make it a mirror, you know, evil twin. Do them the other side? I, I would have put the, the skirt on the other side. Yeah. At least it would have been something to show that it was like, you know, the mirror image of as compared to like literally the same aesthetic, the same like pattern on the, the, the two pieces on the skirt and in the top. And also there was a little, it was very Xena, the warrior princess. She reminded me of, um, there was Alti who was the evil shamaness, uh, Amazon shamaness in a bunch of episodes. So I, I have to go back and look, but I think that might've been a little bit of that going on there. Just terms of fantasy references so it was a neat costume but it didn't necessarily do what it was supposed to do for the challenge i mean so. at this point i can understand her being in the bottom because there's yeah. so few people but it was not terrible yeah so. no it, i think in an earlier challenge she would have been very safe um if somebody else had done something worse the next person up was eureka and uh, eureka's good look was very very Cher horowitz which I loved. It, just very oh, yeah, it was very clueless. Yeah. It was almost exact, except for the fact that it was pink rather than yellow, her first outfit from Clueless. Like it was a direct reference. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I love that the, the fact that she referenced Clueless and John Waters in her outfits made me happy. Because I love Clueless and I love John Waters. Same. Um, and also, I, I just made the note that Eureka has incredible legs. I mean, usually she's been wearing like a lot of like long things or a lot of like like pants and stuff. I don't know if we've seen her in short a short shirt before, but her legs are amazing. I mean, granted, I think she's like seven feet tall, but she's got gorgeous legs, at least from the knees, you know, from the knees down because she wasn't wearing like, you know, hot pants or anything. But her legs were fabulous and I'm like horribly jealous. So. I thought the outfits were nice. I yeah. I loved the makeup for divine the divine character. The yeah. you filthy or and filthy it took or. me three like three viewings to get the joke. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I got there in the end. Though I was like really surprised because the good twin was the one that she brought with her, and you filthy or is the one that she made there. You filthy or was a much better costume. Yeah, it was amazingly, and considering, I mean, you know, an untucked Lena even said, like, oh my god, you made that here. And the fact that she was able to, I don't want to say throw it together, but put it together that quickly, especially the fitted jacket. And it was, it was fabulous. It was really, and I like, I like the, I was going to say, I like the green, you know, the evil green 
plaid thing. So yeah. Yeah. But I thought like actually considering how she always goes on about proportionizing that the clueless outfit did not actually work on her frame. Because I mean, that is part of proportionizing is wearing things that flatter your body. And I don't think that the little cardigan underneath and the jacket really flattered her. And I think she maybe needed to be cinched a little bit more because it was just a little not good. Yeah, she looked a little, I mean, she's a big girl, but she looked a little rotund there as compared to like cinched. And yeah, and she usually is very good about doing the, you know, making sure she's got a waistline and stuff. So, but I, I like the, I personally like the, the contrast between the characters and the change in the voice. And, you know, Eureka is a very funny, good actor. And I, I think that was like, she was playing to that part of her strength, even if the looks weren't as fabulous as they ought to have been or, or could have been. No, she, her acting was very good. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about her, even though, you know, some people on the internet don't seem to find anything good about her. Then next we had Cracker. Um, and I know they were all gagging for the Marie Antoinette outfit. I thought from the neck up she looked great, but it, to me it just was too bathrobe-y. I thought it was, I thought it was really cute. It reminded me of like a cotton candy, you know, just adorable. And I think you're right about the, the robe itself being a little bathrobe but I think that's just because of the material it was made out of. And it wasn't yeah. like, it didn't have enough under support. To make it less robey, make it less bathrobe, make it more actual robe, you know, robe as a clo- yeah, dress. To me, it looked like it was like a stretch velvet or a velour or something like that as compared to something filmy. I think if it had been like a chiffon or something lighter weight, it might have worked better for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like the overall concept of it. And like I said, her hair, her makeup, the choker, the colors were really great. It just didn't quite work for me. I thought it looked beautiful. I think um, her makeup, her hair, the collar, everything was really nice. The robe maybe needed a little bit of work. Fun fact, that outfit was actually made by Yua Hamasaki. Yeah, which we haven't seen anything from Yua uh, for a while because she left very early on. It's a bit basic, but, you know, it was very nice. Uh, the evil twin look. Oh, honey. Yeah. yeah. And the, the sad thing is that Cracker did post her evil outfit on Instagram later, what she wanted to wear that she didn't get finished. And it was basically very similar to the Marie Antoinette look, only in black. And you know, as you said, it was like in leathery and there was some, there was like, grommets or something and i think it was also chiffon so it was more kind of flowy and it was gorgeous Mm -hmm. and it was really sad because i think had cracker pulled that out she would not have gone home and i have to say like she's kind of lucky that they didn't well i guess maybe not lucky but if she had done the prehistoric challenge she might have gone home anyways because it's that was kind of lousy yeah the bones did not look good. Yeah, it was very Halloween costumey. I mean, like, they were clocking Cameron. I thought Cameron's stuff looked much more polished than, than this prehistoric look. I feel like Cracker, like, I know they were saying, like, you know, costumey and you could buy it at a, like, Halloween store. I honestly do think Cracker probably hit up Spirit Halloween on November 1st and bought, like, all of their <laughs> prop bones or whatever and, and used them on this costume because they did not look like real bones and they were not good yeah and and it broke my heart because i you know i've probably been rooting for cracker the most all season and this was just like oh honey no especially when she finally won last week and i thought you know initially oh good maybe she's going to be on the up and we're you know we're down to five and we've got the final four next week and oh, oh cracker yeah and and like i said earlier it felt too generic like first of all well it didn't really read as evil but this whole idea of dirty and, you know, aggressive 
that's not what Cracker's evil twin is, her inner saboteur. That's not what what it is. So I don't understand personifying it as that. Which makes sense that Cracker's inner, you know, evil twin would be more like a dominatrix, somebody who's like driving her to, to do things and cracking that whip and, you know, do this, do that, do the other thing. You've got to control. Control. And control, tying control. her up, restraining her. Yeah. I, I mean, granted, that would be really hard to do with a split screen, but damn it, wouldn't you like to see them try? <laughs> oh, baby, yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I and again, like, I, I think this challenge was such a mess for everybody that everybody interpreted it a different way, and, and, and the judges apparently had their own ideas on things. So next we had Aquaria, um, and her good look. Um, I honestly put, yeah, whatever. I like the, the hat, and I like the half the top, but I'm not, I'm personally not a fan of like uh, one sided asymmetrical most of the time. So to me, it was like, you're missing a sleeve. And the rest of it was a fucking bodysuit. I'm sorry. It was tight tuck or not, it was another goddamn bodysuit. I am torn because I actually think this outfit was very pretty. I like that she finally cracked the code in how to wear a wide-brim hat because so many queens have failed on wearing wide-brimmed hats on the show. And what you need to do is you need to have a wire in there so that you can form it so that your face shows. And I think that the lines on this outfit were very clean and I liked the way the mint green and the lavender were going together. I thought... I liked the outfit. Yes, it was a bodysuit, but it was a very well-constructed, pretty bodysuit. But I don't understand what this has to do with Aquaria as a queen and how it ties to her evil twin look at all. There was just so much disconnect between these two looks. I thought they were both individually really nice looking yeah uh, the evil twins uh, which which was called sabatina i thought it was really neat and i said it it's very joan crawford realness uh but to me it's like what the fuck with the bones on the face and the the, the really to me sloppy um when she turned on the back she actually had like a bone spine going down the back that looked all loose and like i i don't know i i feel like i missed something because i i didn't get the connection to either as well. And I felt like anything she was saying in her dialogue was basically fed from whatever Rue had talked to her about before. Oh, it was totally fed from what Rue talked to her about. Yeah. Yeah. But that is smart for her to take exactly what Rue said by rote and and put it in because obviously that's what Rue is looking for, what Rue said in the workroom. But these two looks, I mean, we'll talk about it a bit more when we get into Asia. Asia's looks are very different from one another. But still, you can see a through line. Aquarius, not at all. I don't see how these two are... Like, if we're going to call it an evil twin challenge, then they have to be twinning in some way. And and, and even, like, just the general lines. I mean, you know, the, the, the lavender thing was okay. Like I said, I liked her face. I liked the hat. I liked some of it. Um, but that has nothing to do with, like, mix and match animal you know cat prints and Joan Crawford uh, yeah well Ocelot and also I think there was some cheetah and something else there um, and 
that bone mask thing, I guess I don't get it. And then the Joan Crawford hair and makeup, which was awesome in itself, but and went with the, the outfit, but not necessarily as an evil twin when you're looking at the other thing. Obviously, Aquaria brought this for the prehistoric challenge. And yeah. she's the only one yeah. who wasn't clocked for it. And I think everybody decided to use their bones from the prehistoric challenge because the, the producers probably came and said, hey, we're not going to be doing this challenge. So they had this extra costume that's like, well, what are we going to do with it? Like, and use it in other challenges. And maybe Aquaria really liked the whole 3D printed jaw piece. And honestly, I thought that thing was stunning. I don't really get what it has to do with her evil twin yeah. but it was really nice and if i had that made for me like custom made i might be like yeah i'm gonna wear this anyways yeah i, I like the individual just like if you looked at the, the superficial looks i think they were very nice but i didn't feel like any of this had anything to do with the challenge which, yeah it, it was just part of my frustration because it's not the first time that aquaria seems to have missed the challenge by a mile and yet uh, then we had Asia, and I loved the orange look. You know, Michelle later was confused by the balloons, but it was very, you know, it was very cutesy showgirl, but it also had, like, a fox aesthetic to it. She's a kitsune! And I love it! She also looked beautiful. I mean, oh, Asia did. is just, like, stunning, stunning, stunning. And then we had uh, North Korea, who was the evil twin, and I fucking love that i thought that was like truly evil and you know i liked the dialogue because she was you know saying you're you know you're a you're stanky old woman you know stanky old ho you're not 21 years old and you know blah 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 but it worked really well and i felt like Aisha's is the one who really embraced this challenge yeah. and she also did like the tie-in between the, the balloons so you had like the evil happy you know, the happy-go-lucky you know full orange balloons you know sunshiny blah 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 and then you had this evil dark bald heavy makeup and the deflated balloons because she's evil i thought it was fabulous i thought this this look actually really got the challenge because they're very different looks from one another and might i also say that i know we say no bodysuits but i'm almost willing to say asia is the exception to this rule because i don't think i've ever seen her put on a bodysuit that wasn't snatched like she her bodysuits are so good <laughs> Yeah, and it's not just, like, a plain bodysuit. I mean, this thing was, like, sparkly yeah. and orange, and then she had the wig and the, the hair. I mean, somebody said it was a bow. I thought it was fox ears also. It was fox ears, because I think, like, with that bit of, like, feather, fake fur yeah, that, on the side, that was kind of, like, reading his tail. I do think she was very much going for a kitsune-type thing. But, like, the two looks, they look very different from each other. But... In a lot of ways, there's similarities between them, like with how they're both so sparkly, but one's dark sparkly and one's bright sparkly. And with the tying of the balloons together with the one deflating one balloon and then having all of these charred ones with her. And then, you know, both of them have like this feather fur type thing on it. But then you have like the distinct differences where one's bright and one's dark, one's got big hair big big hair and the other's bald so yeah this is for me like a dark mirror yeah i i thought it was fantastic and i was like really shocked that the judges didn't love it as much as we did uh we got to the judges critiques at least the uh, the post runway critiques um and michelle felt that you know cameron was too costumey and not evil enough you know my only wonder is like 
you know, because we're seeing it on a television, you know, through filter, you know, cameras and stuff. Maybe it looked more costumey or more like kind of homemade on the runway than it did on TV. I don't know. But all camera and stuff, though, looks kind of homemade and costumey, quote, you know, as opposed to, you know, being sewn by a professional seamstress or you know, bought from, you know, from some fancy you know, place. So I think that that's just part of Cameron's thing is that she leans towards that, that, that kind of look, that cosplay look. And, and because it's usually simple, because it's just like a little covering from the top, a little covering from the bottom, there's not much into it. And therefore, you know, she's going to get clocked for it. They're okay with Eureka's look. And again, like making divine references, always a good thing, especially when you're a big girl. With Miss Cracker, I don't think they were wrong that they loved the good look but that the evil look didn't match and it was too costumey. And with Aquaria, I thought there was way too much gushing over how she looked and what she was doing. And, and, and how fashion forward it was. And I was like, oh, uh, no, not it was fashion forward. Yeah. Rue literally used the line, an iconic fashion moment. And I was like, what? Yeah, like one of the best 10, you know, outfits ever on, on any season of Drag Race. I'm like, what? <laughs> Is your wig on too tight? I didn't like how when she's mentioning, like, the ten best outfits, the people that she mentioned were all winners. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's like, are you spoiling something for us there, Rue? But I think, like, every couple of seasons, Rue gets blinded by the beauty of, like, one queen. And we might not always agree with her, but there's just, for some reason, there's just something about this queen that, like, Rue is just enamored of their look i think tyra sanchez would be one of those queens you know violet yeah, tchotchke and i think aquaria falls into that where it's just like rue has these blinders on where it's just like oh my god you were gorgeous like how many awards can i throw at you well she was very much you know making excuses for for aquaria you know, when they're discussing amongst themselves in that, you know, well, she's just 21, so of course she's not going to be as dark as some of these other queens who are older. I'm sorry, Rue, have you met any, like, 21-year-old goth kids? Because I have. They can be awfully fucking dark when they want to be. Do you remember when you were a 21-year-old goth kid? (laughs) I do! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I I don't know, it just, and at least with, like, Violet, to me, like, you know, I'm not I'm a bigger Violet fan now than I was on the show, but to me, like, Violet designs her own clothes and sews her own clothes. So a lot of, like, the design stuff that they were drooling over was from Violet's own hand, like, the reversible thing. And so I, I can see that more. Here it's like Aquaria gets things done for her, and maybe, I don't know if she designs her own clothing or whether she just picks it off the inner rack or has people like, oh, you should wear this. I don't know what how it works, but it just, I don't know. It just was very frustrating. And um, then Asia also got a lot of positives. Michelle had, like, some issues with balloons. She didn't like them when she first saw them, but then when she saw the second costume, then she's like, I get it. Yeah, it was a statement, but, you know, sometimes Michelle needs to, like, take the whole thing in first. <laughs> But yeah, um, so that was the main critiques. And then Rue asked the evil question was, if you could send anybody home, who do you think should go home? I found really interesting that, that Rue qualified how to give the answer. He said, excluding your good twin. So I'm like, are you trying not to make sure make sure that, that we don't get a, get a Dela moment here? I didn't yeah. notice that too, yeah. I think we did because, you know, otherwise Cameron might have said, send me home at that point. Well, I um, think also she didn't want joke answers. I mean, she still got some, but everyone mostly told the truth. I think, like, for the most part, like, with the answers, like, everybody was pretty honest, and I don't think there was anything super controversial about it until we got to Asia. Um, Because Asia once again stated that she felt that, 
you know, Cracker was not a star and didn't belong there, which is a really horrible thing to say. I mean, you know, Cameron said Aquaria, uh, Eureka said everybody, well, okay, no, Cracker, but I don't think Eureka was cruel about it. And then Cracker and Aquaria both said Cameron. And then, yeah, Asia had to start with, oh, well, she's not a star. She's like not, she's not as good as us, kind of. Yeah. That was the attitude. And that was like, what? You're in the final five. She fucking is. is you know, it's not like the top 14 and you're winnowing out somebody like uh, Serena Cha-Cha. You know? Seriously, anybody who comes on RuPaul's Drag Race is going to end up a star. Just look at who the person who was eliminated first in this season, Vangie. <laughs> she's not exactly. only a star, she's a meme. Yeah. Well, she's both now. She's both. Yeah. Bruce picked you to be on the show, then you're already a star because you're you're cut above anybody who didn't get on the show. I don't know. It just felt very unsports person like from Asia. So, so I guess we need to go to Untuck now. Oh, this episode. Yeah. Oh. This episode hurt. It hurt because I love Cameron and I love Miss Cracker, and we see them fall apart. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Cameron was frustrated, Cracker was sad, and she was really... I think she was honestly hurt by what Asia had to say, because... She definitely was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Cracker's somebody, you know, for somebody who they claim is not... doesn't have emotions, I mean, she's very sensitive, and you can see it here. Because that was like a real slap in the face. So there was a lot of that sort of stuff. And then, like, Cracker went off to, like, study her thing, because she was sure she was going to go home. And then everybody, like, gave Cameron a pep talk, and, like, why she needed to stay rah, 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 which kind of bothered me also because they were all like psyching Cameron up and nobody was like checking on Cracker and until we got Aquaria going over to check on Cracker and I thought that was really nice. Cracker ended up talking about this with with Michelle that one of the really good things that came out of doing this show is that she kept on calling Aquaria her sister. Basically Aquaria is now her drag sister. That they had had like kind of a close relationship or, or they had had, like, a good relationship, and then they kind of had things get in their way, so then they kind of became frenemies. But now that they've done the show and they've worked out all of their issues, they're super close now. And she actually left jewelry for Aquaria to wear and said, Oh, wow. Bring home the crown to New York. Yeah, I know. Um, the other thing that, uh, um, Cracker, because there's a really good interview, and I've put the link up on uh, our Facebook page. Um, there's a really good interview with uh, Cracker from Entertainment Weekly, and she was saying the same thing, that she and Query are very, very close now, and that she considers her one of her closest friends. And one of the things that bothered Cracker the whole season was that when they started out, they kind of painted Cracker in a bad light, because without even asking her they started the whole drama about like copying the dress and blah 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 and that kind of set a tone for cracker the whole way through like that kind of threw her and that was not what she was there for um she worked past it but it really bothered her that when they started out the show the first thing was like oh you're a copycat you're not even an original you know you're you're ripping off this other person's look it sucks so um i'm glad they got past it um but they did have a nice moment that was ruined by lena dunham yeah oh yeah well yeah i sort of when she when she came into the room i, I fast forwarded <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. I I just, I know a lot of people love Lena Durham. I I am not one of them, and I just cannot stand even listening to her talk. So I was like, okay, I'm just... Yeah, well, I I thought it was funny that Cameron, like, completely ignored her, and Cameron was just, like, in her own little corner, like, practicing the lip sync, and I I think there was some shade thrown, like, somebody asked, like, what was like to meet her, and she was just like, I was busy. (laughs) I don't even know her. I was busy, so I don't think Cameron's that big a fan. Um, The other thing that um, I meant to to mention is that we saw an exclusive clip of Rue asking people that we didn't see on the 
the main stage was what was the worst moment for you on the show and Aquaria started talking about what happened last week the previous week where she kind of melted down over uh, there being a, a double save and how it was affecting her and Asia kind of calling her out and the fact that Aquaria actually thanked Asia and had like a little bit of a wake up moment and I'm I almost wonder if that kind of like that's part of what threw this uh, win as we'll see um, to Aquaria because she was suddenly that forthcoming and sort of showing this like kernel of, of actual maturity and saying no I actually was you know Asia checked me and I listened and, and she was right kind of thing. I think Aquaria is going to be a real cool person in like five years or so when she bakes a little bit more. Yeah I, I think we're starting to see especially being around the queens for like so long and it, we're starting to see like her being formed and, and, and growing up a little bit. Um, so yeah, I think she's going to be fabulous when she kind of gets her head out of her own ass a little bit as experienced life more because yeah, she can do beautiful things and she's not stupid, but sometimes she's just, it's, it's that sort of stupidity of youth thing. Yeah. So. She's 21. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, and somebody who at 21 obviously has gotten a lot of notice and, and been able to do what she wants to do. So the ego is like very, very large, etc. So yeah, so Lena showed up and uh, less. We need to talk about that, and um, it and, and a thing happened, and right then other than more more tension between Asia and Cracker because of Asia's mouth, uh, and then we got to the lip sync. Uh, <sighs> now the lip sync was "Nasty Girl" by Vanity Six, which is something I grew up on, um, so I was able to sing along with it. And as compared to who are these people? What are they singing? <laughs> what is this? Is this music? <laughs> I have such a problem with this lip sync. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They both did fine. This is my problem with it. They both did fine on the lip sync. They were both they both knew their words. They both performed very well. And I mean I'm not trying to shade Cameron because I love Cameron. But considering that they both did well on the lip sync and that this was Cameron's third time in a row on the bottom. Right. And Cracker's first time on the bottom ever i think cracker should have stayed i i agree because i was very frustrated by what happened i, I just felt like yeah the, it, but this is something that's been frustrating me all season because i feel like cracker always is a chance of like is cracker you know should she win or not no she winds up being second to somebody and here she should have won because yeah they were both really good and also that we you know Cameron was excellent. Cameron's a lip sync assassin, but I didn't see anything really different in her performance, in her gyrations or anything else than she's done before. Not like she suddenly pulled out some new trick that wowed everybody. Oh, no, no, no. There, there's that trick that wowed everybody. When she was on her back with her legs up and she was doing that twisty, turny thingy right, with okay. her legs. That was, that, was, that was what gave it to her the win, I think, because that That's was fair. very, very, very unexpected and very, you know, fit the song because it was very kind of sexual. Very overtly sexual. That's really kind of a sexy song. Uh, that that is what uh, Michelle said in What You Packing. That she thinks that Cameron just played up the sexy part a little bit more than Cracker did, and she hasn't talked to Rue about it. But if, in her opinion, that's why the win went to Cameron. But I don't know. I mean, it's. I always feel like the lip sync, like it's important. Like you can't absolutely bomb it. But as long as you do really good, if the numbers are on your side, eh, whatever. Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, Cameron got to uh, Ashante. She stayed and Cracker had a sachet away. It made me sad because, like I said, I love Cracker. And um, I the one thing that was interesting is that, as I said, this uh, Entertainment Weekly interview was really good. And um, it was very intense. And Cracker 
said that in the long run, it actually didn't matter because the crown was not that important to her overall because Cracker considers herself to be an activist and very political. And so in the end, the crown is not that big a deal as compared to everything that's going on politically right now and the fact that Trump is in the office and, you know, uh, LGBT rights. So it was she was very happy that she got this uh, chance to kind of put herself out there and do things. But the she said the crown is more important to other girls than it is to me. So mm -hmm. she was okay with going. I think she would have liked to have won, but she's at least in the time since then has been kind of, she's justified and she's all right yeah. with it. It's not like she's going to stay up nights crying that she didn't win. It really doesn't surprise me. Like we have talked before about the narrative and how this season seems to really be, be playing into the narrative. The fifth place spot in RuPaul's Drag Race, if you look at it, it is always a queen that is like really with a few exceptions it's a queen that is very well loved and usually a queen who goes on to do very well in the post drag race career i've actually heard it referred to as the character jump spot okay because you've got queens like angina pandora i would count shangela because carmen coming back that that was fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Bendela, Katya. So, like, these are some really big, beloved personalities who, you know, you usually end up coming back on All Stars. A lot of these queens have done stuff, like, with World of Wonder. Like, there's a couple of seasons that don't apply, but I mean, like, Sixth Place also is very close to, like, Alyssa was Sixth Place. So, when we were starting to get to this point i'm like i think cracker is gonna go home in this episode she's gonna not make the crack the top four i don't know what the whole thing is but it also considering the entire season's about been about crackers inner saboteur the fact that she goes home in an inner saboteur challenge it's yeah it's kind of ironic and kind of sad too i mean and like i said you know she and also she mentioned in the ew thing that she's done really really well um and she's like one of the, supposedly one of the top grossing queens now um in terms of like live performance and stuff so yeah and she this is not hurting her obviously it gave her a lot of uh, gave her a lot of exposure, uh, new fans, and she's doing okay for herself. So we, we don't have to worry about her. I think she had like the third longest line at DragCon. I think I saw that mentioned. Yeah, so she's she's very popular. And I think it's going to be like a Pandora situation where, you know, maybe she didn't win and maybe she, you know, was overlooked or, or, or screwed in some cases because there were weeks where she, I think she should have won. But it's not going to hurt her because sometimes, you know, look at somebody like Tyra Sanchez. You can win the season and... Nobody really cares in the end. <laughs> it will not shock me at all if next season Review with a Jew is on World of Wonder rather than Ms. Cracker's own channel. Yeah, because I think Agreed. she's yeah. yeah, she's definitely somebody to, to keep an eye on. Yeah, so in the end, um, we had that. And also our winner was Aquaria because we didn't actually go over who was safe and not. But um, we, we didn't want to say that part. <laughs> yeah, 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 she won. Like and... Uh, yeah, Rue was like going on about she's 21 and top 10 outfits and the whole point to me, the frustration with me is that this was not supposed to be a fashion challenge. It was supposed to be more depth and 21 year old Aquaria, you know, lover, hater, it was not that deep. It was very much a superficial challenge for her. And I, as we said, we didn't find it to be one of the top 10 outfits of all time in the last 10 years. And I don't know, it's just frustrating as all get out. But next week, we're going to have uh, another 
performance thing. And we're going to see Todrick Hall again. Woohoo! Um, yeah, well, it's going to be the traditional Let's All Write New Verses to, to Rue's newest single. Yep, so we're going to have another video thingy. And uh, then oh, we also had the post show and just Cracker talking about Cracker and everything. Just She kind of made me cry because I love her. Oh. So that's pretty much it for the week. So uh, let us do our charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent portion of the evening. First, who do we think deserve the charisma award this week? Eureka. Eureka. Yeah, yeah. Eureka. You know, anybody who can do a really good divine imitation and, and pull it off is just golden. Then uniqueness. Huh. Oh. <laughs> that's a hard one. Uh, I would say maybe Cameron for the warrior princess babe outfit yeah i was thinking for me i think it may have been asia because i think asia at least look wise it was very very different i thought her evil was like extremely different you know so because i don't think we've ever seen asia bald before or you know not pretty um except i guess for her when she was doing her age thing uh her silver fox so uh but yeah cameron too i would give my uniqueness to rude paul <laughs> there you go. You don't expect Rude to be doing stuff like that, so he's gonna key. He's gonna key your car. Your oh, car yeah. is keyed. Oh yeah, your, I'm, I'm your so car scared. is keyed, bitch. <laughs> yeah, he's so tough. Then nerve. Aquaria. Aquaria. Because okay. she, because you know she's th- still thinking that that you know the sun is shining out of her hours and she has like you know might have some problems with like an inner saboteur but but that just gives her an excuse to be even more fabulous and it, her ego is very healthy. Yes. Okay, and then talent. I'd say Asia. Because, I mean, she also made both of those outfits, and they're gorgeous. Yeah, and her acting was, like, her Her, spot on. I thought she really really pulled out... Yeah, we really got the the sense that they were two separate characters. I mean, if anybody was should have won this week, I think it honestly should have been Asia. Um, I, I just think out of everybody, she's shown the most. So, But as you said, Rue kind of gets enamored with certain people, and there's no changing his mind. And because we're down to now the final four, um, and the finale is in sight. In fact, they recorded it uh, a week ago, I think, in Los Angeles uh, with multiple endings. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, rumors out there and a lot of information about who, what, when, and where that I will not mention for now because I don't want to spoil anybody, um, including Miss Congeniality, etc. But we'll find out in two weeks. Um, who do we think should win this challenge out of the last four? And who do you think will win? Because I think there's a difference about who we personally would want or believe should as compared to what we think the judges and or the producers are going to do. I think Yurik is going to take it. I think they really like the whole idea of the phoenix from the ashes. I think that if they didn't have Eureka win, I think it would be, well, we have to bring her back for All-Stars. <laughs> and I don't think they want to get into another Chancellor situation where somebody has to come <laughs> back for a third time. Uh, who I would want to win? I think other than the fact that I'm kind of pissy about her saying that about Cracker, I'd probably say Asia. But I wouldn't be unhappy with Eureka winning because I like Eureka too. Okay, Miss Ren. Well, I think I think that Asia is going to win because I really just don't see them giving it to a large girl, you know. And maybe that's just because I would wish that if they had given it to a large girl, then we would have given it to Latrice Royale, you know, several seasons ago. But that's just me. So, you know, I would like to see then Asia, either Asia or Eureka, who I think is going to win is Aquaria because this whole season has been a setup for Aquaria's fabulous. This, and it's just, it seems like such a repeat of Violet, Ch- Violet Chosky's win from season seven. That's just like, why are we even here? Why are we even bothering with this last episode? You know, you're going to give it to Aquaria. You know, it's just call it a done, you know? 
Yeah, I I have to agree with Ren on this one. I really I have this feeling in the gut, the pit of my stomach, that it's going to be Aquaria, despite you know you know she's done some fabulous looks and I think she's grown, but she's still twenty one and I feel like she's still not seasoned enough to really be the 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 winner in America's Next uh, Superstar. And part of it is also, I mean, and it's not her fault per se, but she's not as articulate. She's not as outgoing as perhaps she ought to be. And just to stand there and kind of pose and stuff is not what one should, not what I would want to see as, you know, because we went through that with Tyra and we know where that's gone. Um, not that I think that Aquarius is anything like Tyra whatsoever. Because no, I'm, she's more like Violet, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we when I saw Violet at, DragCon last year, I actually was warmed up to her because off screen, Violet was actually a very smarter, more likable person than I they expected. But, but Violet's yeah, also a little surprised, earlier. yeah. So I think, I, I honestly feel like they're pushing this, like, Aquaria thing, pushing this Aquaria thing, pushing this Aquaria thing. Would love to see Eureka win because I, I know there were rumors that they thought that uh, Ginger Minge was going to win um, and then because she kind of was bitchy they gave it to somebody else. Um, I just think Eureka overall has so many talents. You know, she can act, she can dance, um, singing, maybe not so much, but she tries. She's got really interesting looks when she actually misses, mixes it up because, you know, her two looks on the runway there were no loaves this time which I, I give her points for that um i think she's got like good pop culture references and i would i would love to because i just think she's a lot of fun but i know social media doesn't love her for whatever reason so i don't know whether that's going to play into it or not so but we'll see because we've got two more weeks before we get there because next week is our final four video whatever and then we will have the crowning which i'm sure will be some and it was filmed live so i suspect it'll be something like last year whether it's lip syncing or some other kind of challenge between the, the final three or the final four and then we'll have the reunion show and next week we hope to have a very extra special guest who we will be announcing in a couple of days once everything is formalized but uh there should be four of us next time um impining on the final four so until then i'm jan and i'm ren i'm mc Bye. Bye. Bye.